Well, please flip over to Genesis 25. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. We're talking about actually seeing the Lord. Jacob, later on in his life, is going to actually have encounters with God um, that you and I would um, maybe find analogy to our life. Maybe you actually have come to Christ through some very um, remarkable encounters with God. I was listening to um, a testimony from, from someone recently, um, and they, they described how they just knew that God spoke to them. Now granted, God only authoritatively speaks to us. We know for sure through His Word. But there is this way in which the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. And the thing about Jacob, we'll learn, is how God has used the incident we will read in his life to bring him to a knowledge of his Lord. And it doesn't follow with his other brother Esau. That Esau actually does not at all see the Lord the way Jacob does. And what we pray What we pray regularly is to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's going to honor that prayer. We trust him now. Genesis 25 uh, is a story of two people. Abraham in his life, he is dying. He is over. The story, the bookends of his life are closing. And it says this, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him uh, Zimran, Jokthan, Medan, Medan, and these other names, we'll skip. Six of them. And I was doing a bonfire with the kids, uh, uh, the youth, on Friday. And we were going around talking about all these nicknames that you have in high school. Uh, some of them were pretty awesome. One kid's nickname was Danger, uh, which is like, man, I don't know who you paid for that one. But you want to spread that as far as you can through school. Um, and some were less, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't want these nicknames. <laughs> I was saying, you might just get some of these. These are some great nicknames. You know, Jokthan. Who wouldn't want to be called that? Um, skipping down to verse 4. Uh, it says, the sons of Midian goes, goes further. How about verse 5? And this is Abraham. Uh, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. This is the end of his life. But to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts. So Keturah, he takes on a wife, Keturah. They have six other sons. So now Abraham gave everything he had to Isaac, his firstborn, from his wife Sarah. But to all these other children, he gave gifts, we're told. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So he pushes them out. He says, Isaac is here. This is his promised land. All you other children, move away. Move along. This is where Isaac should be, and everything I have is his. And it says this, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175. And Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Now Isaac and Ishmael, who were estranged for a while, they come together for this point, for their father's death. Isaac and Ishmael, his son, buried him in the cave of Machpelah and in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. Then Abraham was buried and with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed, blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled in the land of Beer Lahirai. So Isaac gets everything 
that Abraham owned, and he gets the blessing. God blessed him, he says. Now, these are the generations of Ishmael, and it goes through, and he had 12 sons. So, Abraham at one point had no children. He has one son, Ishmael, then he gets a son, Isaac, but then he marries Keturah and has six more sons, and Ishmael has 12 sons, so he has got 12 grandchildren. Already, he is beginning to see the truth that all of these people become nations, that from him many nations would come. And he actually is taking on the name, the father of many nations. Now in verse 19, it says this, after speaking about Ishmael. This is closing off the story of all these characters. And it picks up this new thing about Jacob. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. How remarkable. It took Abraham forever to have his wife bear a child. And here, Rebekah is barren. And Isaac just prays. And God says, okay. And he prays. And here, she conceives. Now the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Why are they fighting within my womb? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, this prophetic oracle, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you have been divided. And one shall be stronger than the other. And the other shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, and all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. It's not a good parenting strategy. There's two things Genesis wants us to know. Polygamy is a bad idea, and favoritism with siblings is not a good idea either. It's like every generation. It's like, wow, that, didn't see that coming? That wasn't good. But it's not a good idea. Uh, 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Edom means, sounds like the word red. So he's red when he comes out. His name's Edom. He likes red stew. His name's Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Because Esau was born a half a second earlier. He's the firstborn. Sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is this birthright to me? (laughs) Then Jacob said, swear to me now. Now while you're hungry, don't change your mind. So he swore to him 
and sold him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose up and went his way. Didn't seem like he was about ready to die. And it says this, and Genesis doesn't do this much. Scriptures don't often do this. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Oftentimes, there is no moral comment. Oftentimes, you just read about bad things happening in Scripture, and you're left to ponder them. But at the end of this story, the narrator goes to the point to say, no, take this away. This was a bad thing. He despised his birthright by doing this. It wasn't even so much about Jacob being kind of tricky and using an opportunity for Esau when he's hungry to take advantage of him, to try to get a birthright. This story really isn't even about Jacob Jacob being advantageous or sly. Primarily the point is Esau had something. He had a privilege. He had a right, and he despised it. He didn't care for it at all. And so there's two types of people in the world. There's two types of people in this story. This is the story of two nations. It's what Rebecca was told. There are two nations inside your womb. Twins. This is Jacob and Esau. Now maybe you've heard the phrase, people always say, well, there's two kinds of people in the world. And then say something. Remember, um, uh, 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 Louis Armstrong, the jazz player, he said there's two types of music in the world. He said there's good music and bad music, and I play the good music. He's probably right. It was really good. How about this? There's two types of people in the world. There's those who roll their toothpaste tube, and if you're married to the other one that squeezes the tube, well, you know there's two types, and you picked well. There's two types of people in the world, some who like chocolate, some who like vanilla, there's two types of people. Some who eat, um, so they'll eat a McRib from McDonald's. There's those type of people. And there's other people that have plans later in the day. And they don't do that. <laughs> the, um, the reality of all this is people make decisions. And uh, sometimes people make these decisions and sometimes people make those. <laughs> but the reality here with Esau and Jacob is that this is, a, this is the quintessential either-or. There are two types of people in the world. And the Bible makes that clear from the beginning. You have Abel and you have Cain. Literally, the next brothers. This isn't the first brother story. Abel and Cain. There's two types. Noah had three children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham had a son named Canaan, and there were two types. There was Ham and those who came with him, Canaan, or there was those of Shem and Japheth, split, split again. And as we walk through the gospel of Genesis, now it couldn't be more pointed. It couldn't be more explicit and more direct that not only two brothers fighting in the garden, like Cain and Abel, you have two brothers 
of the exact same genealogy, from the same father, the same mother, in the same womb. Before they could even do one thing good or one thing bad. And the Hebrew word for this is they were smashing one another. That's why Rebecca was in such pain saying, why is this? There are two types of people in the world. C.S. Lewis said this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. There are those who submit to God's will and pray according to his wisdom and seek his mercy and grace in the gospel and the face of Jesus Christ. And those who want nothing to do with it, want nothing to do with Jesus and the great promises of old. And God simply says, then have it your way. For there are only two people in the world, those who say thy will be done, or those to whom God says, thy will be done. But nowhere is it more pointed here than with Jacob and Esau. And Jesus divides this way. Matthew 13 is where he says, there is a field, which is the world, and there are wheat, and there are tares. And Matthew 25, he says, at the final end of it all, there are sheep and there are goats. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his holy angels with him, He will sit on the throne in all of his glory. And before him all the nations will be gathered, every person that ever was. And he will separate them one from another as the sheep separates, as the shepherd separates sheep from goat. This is the either or. There are only two types of people in the world. And Abraham's departing his story now, ending his days. And it says, these are the days that Abraham lived, 175. He breathed his last to a good old age. He was a blessed man. It's a symbol of great blessing to live out your days. An old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. He went to go to the place of waiting for the resurrection and the glory of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. He went there. We went to his people. What does that mean except he did not go to a mass grave with all the bones of his previous ancestors. He went to his people, a reference to the afterlife, the place of um, um, Sheol, the place of the pit, the place where you could be blessed, but still departed. And here is Abraham going there. And he shares this cave that he bought in Machpelah with his wife, Sarah. And he's buried next to her. And that's all that is left. And here he has many children after him from Keturah and Hagar. And the twelve sons of Ishmael. Many children follow after his death. But the right of inheritance, the right of having all the good things given to you by the promises of Abraham was transferred to only one. That is to Isaac. So the birthright is the right of inheritance, the right to have everything that the father had previous. And the blessing are all the good things that could come into the future. So Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, it says in verse 5. 
He gave everything he had. Isaac was the only firstborn son. There was no divvying up of any of his stuff between the children of Keturah or Ishmael or all of the grandchildren there. Isaac simply gave away, Abraham gave away gifts to some of these, but the inheritance, the right to have the true inheritance and blessings came only to Isaac. And what follows in verse 11, we are told that Isaac not only received all the birthright, but what often follows in Scripture is after the birthright comes the blessing. So the father is blessed. This is generational. This is how it works in our lives. If your parents trusted in Christ, you had a blessed life. If your parents did not trust in Christ, you missed a lot of great blessings. But you always can have a decision that you could take on those blessings for your generation. And so therefore, all of Abraham's blessings became Isaac's birthright. And then, after he receives that birthright, he's given the promise of God of having continued blessings, that is, continued good in his life. And all those blessings that he accrues, if he lives wisely, nobly, will turn into a greater birthright transposed to his next generation. And you can see how Genesis is showing you this through progression. From one generation to the next. They trusted in Christ. They trusted in the promises. God was faithful to give a portion of these promises. These precious and very great promises. And they came upon this father. And this father held them well. He was faithful before God. Before his wife. Before his children. And when it came time for him to go. To be with his ancestors. He left them a birthright. And that birthright was greater than his father's father. So that that blessing would go to his children's children. Now this is not just a physical reality. It's a spiritual reality. But both in scripture, they don't divide. If you follow Christ, you end up having more money at the end of the week. You just do. Because you really don't care about a lot of other things. If you follow Christ, you speak tenderly to your wife. Or wife to your husband. And your children are just happier. The physical and the spiritual blessings come together. If you're faithful to worship week by week. If you make the cadences and the patterns of your life here now. They echo not for tomorrow. Not five years from now. Ten generations from now are decisions you make today. It's all connected. And it translates from one generation to the next. But the struggle is in the womb. Unlike Isaac, who was born a single child, and a unique child at that, he had all these blessings of the birthright. You have here Esau and Jacob in one womb. Now Rebecca wonders, what is this struggle? Why is this happening to me? And she goes, presumably, to the prophet to get a word, an oracle from God. And the oracle is this, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples within you will be divided. There are two types of people. And you happen to actually have both of them right there. One shall be stronger than the other. Yet the older shall serve the younger. These twins were born and the first one Esau came out red. 
the firstborn. And the word Esau, Edom, sounds like red. He's clothed with hair all around. And afterwards, his brother came out, holding his heel. The word for heel is Akav, and the word for Jacob is Yaakov. That's why his name is Jacob. His name literally means heel grabber. And to grab someone's heel meant to be tripping them up, to, trick, to, to deceive them, to be an untrustworthy person. And what you see is the name plays out. Esau is strong. He's the kind of guy that likes to be a leader, to be in front, to get stuff done, to, to be assertive, to be self-willed. He's hairy, ruddy, a symbol for being a king throughout Scripture, to be ruddy or red is how it's translated here. And he's a mighty hunter. Now what's amazing is being able to preach through a book of the Bible like this. Can you think of anybody in Genesis who is a mighty hunter? In Genesis 10, there was a man named Nimrod, if you remember. And he was a mighty hunter, we're told. He might have started off hunting animals when he was younger. But we're told in Genesis that he got really good at managing bows and swords. And he took over all of the ancient world at the time. It says he took over Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalneh, all of Shinar, which is the whole of Mesopotamia. Many historians would say, or try to speculate, that Nimrod was Sargon of Akkad, the first legitimate known human emperor who conquered many nation-states and had a lot of stuff. So every indication here is that we have this child in the womb, and he grows, and he likes hunting a lot. And he's very assertive, and he likes to get the stuff he wants to get. It sounds very familiar, the repetition as we walk through. And here is Jacob, the exact opposite. He's domesticated. He's not hairy, he doesn't like hunting, hangs out in the tent, and apparently he likes to cook. Two different people entirely. There's only two types of people. Those that hunt and those that cook, I don't know. But that's what the story is. Here are these two people, but the difference of them that is put up in the front, oh, it's so much more deeper spiritually. The two people here in this womb, now, the one other thing about tents is that God had promised, if you remember, we're connecting it all now. There is Noah, and his sons couldn't get along. And there was this one son named Shem. And it was said that anyone who gets in the tents of Shem will be blessed. And here we have Jacob, who is infatuated with getting the blessings of God he wants them. He'll do anything. He'll trick anybody. Maybe in the not right appropriate way, but you can't fault him for his faith. He wants God's blessings. And he likes to dwell in tents. The promises are all connected. So here is Esau, and he comes to Jacob as he's cooking stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he's tired. And he said, let me eat some of that red stew. Presumably, Something with meat. Something that's not entirely cooked the whole way. Let me eat some of that red stew. I'm exhausted. 
And then Esau says, sell me your birthright now. I want the blessings. I've heard the stories. I know the promises that was given to our grandfather Abraham. I would like to have that birthright. And he says, well, I'm about to die. What use is that birthright to me? He's impulsive. And then he says, swear to me now. So he swore. He sold his birthright right there. And this red stew he wanted actually ended up being nothing more than just bread and lentils. No meat at all. So deceptive. So tricky. He never even got what he wanted in the first place. Now Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. Isaac had it all. And what is all of it? If we can think, what is it that Isaac was given when his father died? He was given blessings, yes, a birthright, yes. He was given camels, presumably, gold, soldiers, slaves, or servants. He was given a cave, a field, and a well that had water. It's nice. It's okay. Apparently, Esau didn't really care about much. He didn't think it was that big of an inheritance. The firstborn would get a double portion of whatever that was. Jacob would get the rest. Esau would get double of whatever he had. And Esau doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about receiving promises from God. They don't seem so great when you compare them to the rest of the world. See, if it's true that Esau is this kind of person that just wants to go out and get things for himself. He is the hunter. He is the mighty man. Maybe he heard of this guy named Nimrod. Now, what is that compared to his father's inheritance? Nimrod took five or six kingdoms and conquered all of Mesopotamia because he was a mighty hunter. All of a sudden, your grandfather's camels don't really seem to be that big of a deal anymore. All of a sudden, one cave and a well isn't that much. These promises he's looking for, what is he looking for? The inheritance, and for us this morning is this, the blessings of God. Everybody wants stuff. Everybody in this life is looking for things. And everybody's trying to get as much as they can before they die. Which is ridiculous. Esau saw all this and he didn't care. The promises of God come down so that you and I, we cannot get honor for ourselves. You have to renounce your own righteousness. You have to renounce that you are not a mighty hunter. You're not good in the, with a bow. You're not good in the kitchen. You can't get your life right over here. You can't do the right thing over there. You have to denounce yourself entirely. You have to literally say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe, I deserve. Woe means I deserve your curses. I deserve your death. That's the front door to coming to Jesus. To be able to say that means that you cannot be a mighty hunter. You cannot assert yourself in this world at all. You cannot try to take on or annex any of the things that are God's. The gospel comes that way to say, stop looking for all of this and seize the moment, which is this promise. The promise given to Abraham that our birthright comes from the Father, by the Son, 
and through the Spirit. The main promise, the main thing that was given to Abraham was not camels. It was not a well. It was not a cave. Abraham could have tried to get all these things. Like the people in Babel were trying to do. Like Nimrod was trying to do. Abraham went to war with the kings. He did win. He could have taken a lot of gold and spoil. And he didn't. Because he didn't want it in the first place. The promises of God find all their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Because here's what Galatians 3 says. This is the promise of Abraham. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit, through faith. That's what this was all about. It had nothing to do with any of those camels. The birthright to be given those promises to actually have the Spirit of God poured out upon you. This is how it all works. There is the Father, the Father, the eternal God. And He gives His Son. Like Isaac. Isaac got everything. He was one unique firstborn son. And so here, Jesus knows His own birthright. If we confess Jesus Christ, this is what we're saying. John 16 says, All that the Father has is mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Everything is mine. Everything the Father has, He has given me. I am His firstborn son. I am Isaac in the story. It's all mine. And then speaking about the Spirit, He goes on to finish to say, All the Father has is mine. Therefore I say to you, that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is, all that the Father has is mine. And all that I have, I am giving you by my precious Holy Spirit to be inside of you. Now, if you will lay hold of me, set your face toward me, confess your sins daily, you will have this fellowship with God that is greater than any blessing at all. And it is only a down payment for the blessings to come. Everything that I have, I give to you. All the Father has, the Son has, all the Spirit has is given to us in Jesus Christ. So later in the story, we close with this, later in the story, Jacob runs away with the birthright and the blessing. And he comes back to meet his brother. And he gives his brother many gifts and all sorts of things. Because his brother actually has more stuff than him. He is a mighty hunter after all. His brother has everything. He has more soldiers, more military. His brother could destroy him and his brother doesn't like him obviously. And so Jacob comes back with the birthright, with the blessing, and less stuff than his brother. But you know what Jacob did have? Two amazing encounters with God. He put his head on a rock in Bethel, which means the house of God. And he saw angels descending and ascending into heaven. An amazing spiritual experience. And then when he came back down, he wrestled with a man. 
And he saw that man's face. And it was told to him that he had seen the face of God. And that is the blessing. That's the gospel. We pray, Lord Jesus, I don't care about any of this. Please show me your face. There's only two types of people in the world. Those that want everything and those that want Jesus. Let us pray that he would show us his face. We would know what it's like to have the blessings of Jacob. Dear Lord, Lord, we ask for you to show your face to us. Lord, we renounce it all. We don't want anything if we can't have you. Lord, we confess, we confess that we do not live this daily. We confess that we oftentimes want many things. That we do not cherish this this reality that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, that you would give us, in great measure, your spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of you, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Enlighten us, that we may know all the hope to which you have called us and the riches of our glorious inheritance. Lord, the riches that you have in us as your saints, The immeasurable greatness of your power, Lord. We ask to know this by your spirit. Toward all of us who believe, according to the working of your great might, in which you raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord, this is what we want. This is what we want more than anything. And we ask, Lord, that we be faithful through multiple generations. Faithful to our elderly and faithful to our young. That we would translate our time looking for your blessings and serving and loving one another unconditionally. Lord, we ask you to do this. Lord, teach us. Teach us to love how you have. Show us. Show us, Lord, the face of your precious Son. 